Find in your Bible with me again the Old Testament book of Daniel in chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6 and hold your place there for a minute as we continue in our series Living for Christ in a Hostile Culture. As we've been studying the book of Daniel talking about not compromising and this morning we're going to focus on that principle that I've uh, mentioned last week and which we'll continue to mention that the habits you have today, what you're doing today will determine how you respond tomorrow. What you're doing today will determine how you respond tomorrow. And, and that's certainly true of our faith. We, we build faith, we grow faith today, uh, and that will determine how we respond to what happens and what happens to us uh, tomorrow. I noticed when Miss Jane had the children hold their breath or try to hold their breath or pretend to hold their breath, whatever you want to put it, for a minute, you notice how quiet it got in here? Because all of you were either doing the same thing or wondering if they would succeed. Isn't it interesting how a challenge is contagious? It just kind of spreads. A challenge is contagious. And, and, and even if we don't undertake the challenge, in the back of our minds we wonder, how would I do if I tried that? How would I do if I were in that circumstance or that situation? And believers in Christ, when we read scripture, we often wonder, how would I do if I were faced with a lion's den? How would I do if I were pressured to compromise my faith? And as we'll see, the good news is you can fortify your faith the same way Daniel did. You can be prepared tomorrow to respond tomorrow by how you prepare today. Uh, recently, a 56-year-old woman, Maureen Martin, who lives in the UK and works in London, found out, she's a Christian, found out just what it's like to be pressured to compromise your faith, but more to the point, what it's like when people, when antagonists come after you because of your faith. Uh, Ms. Martin has been working for more than a decade uh, at our version of uh, a housing division uh, of London. She helps with housing there in London, lives outside the city in a southeast town where she started running for mayor not long ago. Now keep in mind, she's been an exemplary employee in London for more than 10 years. Well-liked by her uh, co-workers, good friends. Many of them know that she's a Christian. And then she started running for mayor in her uh, hometown or town of residence. And when she started running for mayor, she published a brochure that listed her, uh, her beliefs and her campaign promises, but specifically her beliefs on things like crime, economy, education, and on marriage. And she also stated these clearly at one of her campaign uh, events, uh, what her beliefs were in each of these areas. And she stated clearly that her belief about marriage is that it was an institution intended to be for a man and a woman. That was pretty much all she said. She also said it was the foundational institution for all society, and if it was to be healthy, if it were healthy, then, then the culture would be healthy as well. Almost immediately, almost immediately, complaints were received in the housing division where she had been work, working for more than a decade. People were calling her a homophobe and a bigot, and she was fired because of her beliefs. Pay attention to that, not because of her work performance, but strictly over ideology, over her belief, she was fired. Here's what she said, along with a lot of other things she said in the press about it. She said, my view does not affect my job in any way. 
And it hasn't since 2006. I've had no complaints from people of other sexual orientations or from my colleagues. I've never displayed or raised homophobic opinions of any form in my job. And yet, she was fired. And she's filed suit, and she has a strong legal defense for discrimination in the UK and for free speech infringement. Because what she said, she was not at work. She was on a platform campaigning for mayor when she said it. But she experienced what we're, we're starting to experience more and more, that we're living in an increasingly hostile culture toward people of faith. It's about ideology. It's not about performance. It's not even about facts. It's about ideology. And there will be a, an occasion, if it hasn't happened already, in which your faith will be taken to be an affront or a threat to people of ideologies that are unbiblical. And you challenge them with your beliefs and your faith. We're talking about living for Christ in a hostile culture. We're using Daniel and his three friends as our example for that. And you'll recall last week, uh, we set the stage as antagonists arose out of the nest. The co-workers of Daniel suddenly came against him. And this is why. A new king had come. The Medo-Persian Empire had risen and taken over Babylon. King Darius, also known, historians believe, as Cyrus the Great. King Darius had arisen. Uh, and as a new king, he had inherited Daniel uh, in Babylon. And Daniel came with a stellar reputation. Everyone knew he was Judean, he was a Jew, and everyone knew that his worship and love of his God uh, is what drove his character. He had stellar character, exemplary reputation. Uh, so here's what Darius did. He came in to reorganize the government in the kingdom, and he uh, put out throughout the government uh, positions called satraps, and their job was, was like tax collectors, basically. Uh, they would receive revenue for the king and send it to the king in Babylon. But because so many in the day and in that area, especially when they're isolated during their work, so many might be corrupt that he put over them managers to ensure that they wouldn't be taking a bit off the top, skimming a little bit of that money before it came to the king in Babylon. And then in turn to ensure that the administrators were, were honest, he put over all of them one individual, created a position for that individual, and put Daniel in that position. Daniel now in his 80s, has been living in Babylon since he was a young teenager, has been serving Babylon but living for God in Babylon. And the reason he is so well-known and has such a good re reputation is because of his relationship with God. And yet when he is placed in this position, he's promoted into this position, it ignites the jealousy of his co-workers who decide to concoct a plan to remove him from that position. But not only to remove them from that position, but to get rid of him altogether. And as we saw last week, his antagonist could find no corruption in his character. Uh, they tried to find dirt on him and could not find anything in his past or his present that showed any moral or ethical corruption. So then they looked at his job performance, and as we read in the Bible, there was no negligence at all in his job performance. He was a great employee. So then we saw last week, they turned their attention to his faith. And they decide to attack him in his faith. And here's what they do. They go to King Darius, and they propose to Darius that he, the new king, would get great respect throughout the kingdom if he would pass a decree that said, for the next 30 days, no one could pray to any other god but him. 
No one could petition another god but the king. And they said everyone agrees with this decree, Darius, which which we saw last week was an outright lie. But they said everyone agrees with this decree, and Darius thought it was a great idea. He signed the decree enacting a 30-day law that anyone who prayed had to pray to him. Any petitions had to come to him, not to any of the Babylonian gods, not to any of the Persian gods, and not to the Jewish god. They have duped Darius. They have manipulated him because he knows and they know that when the king of the Medes and the Persians passes a law, signs a decree, no one can rescind that decree or that law, including the king himself. In fact, the king himself, for the most part, falls under the same law. No one can rescind the law. That's where we pick up in the story. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10 And what we're going to focus in on this morning is Daniel's response to this decree, to what has transpired, to what has happened, and how that impacts him. Look at Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. The Bible says, when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and they found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. So they approached the king and they asked about his edict. Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days any person who petitions any God or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den? That'll be the punishment. The king answered, as a law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands and it is irrevocable. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, has ignored you, the king, and the edict you signed, for he prays three times a day. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. Now you'll recall that Darius was very favorable toward the Jews and clearly liked Daniel. Verse 15. Then these men went together to the king and they said to him, You know, your majesty, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no edict or ordinance of the king established can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God whom you continually serve rescue you. Darius does his best to find a loophole in the law because he likes Daniel. And he knows he's been manipulated. He knows that he's been duped, but there's nothing he can do about it because the law is the law. And Daniel must be punished for praying to his God. The key phrase in the whole story is that Daniel just, Daniel did what he had always done. It's just that simple. Daniel had a habit a lifestyle, and the edict from the king and the pressure to compromise would not change that. He did what he'd always done. This is Daniel's strength. This is what he's been building, the fortif- what he's been fortifying all these years in his, in his faith and his walk with God is the strength to do what he's always done because that's what's right and to do what's right for his faith. He, he won't compromise. But his antagonists are counting on that. They know Daniel so well, they know he's not going to compromise. They're not trying to get him to compromise, they're trying to get him killed. 
They're trying to get him removed. And they're counting on the fact that he will not compromise his faith or his lifestyle that he's built up all these years. That's the point of the story. He, he did what he'd always done before. Because that's how you fortify your faith and that's how you prepare to live in a hostile culture. You live your faith now and that prepares how you will respond tomorrow and prepares you for what comes next. If this is anything, it's a call for us to take seriously the disciplines of a Christian life, what it really means to walk with Christ, what it really means to be prepared day in and day out. And you may think, well, I don't have antagonists in my life, but the culture is changing and the world is changing dramatically, and, and most of us can no longer rely on our exemplary uh, job evaluations, on our good family relationships, on the friends we have at school and at work. We can't rely on those things. We live in a hostile culture, and it's increasingly becoming more hostile. The question is, are what you're doing today, is it preparing you for what you'll face tomorrow and how you'll respond tomorrow? I want to go back to the story for just a minute. I want us to consider three habits that we can cultivate, three habits we must cultivate, which Daniel shows he cultivates, that prepare us to respond tomorrow. Three habits to cultivate as you live for Christ. First, cultivate a habit of prayer. Cultivate a habit of prayer. And by habit of prayer, uh, we do not mean simply grace at the table. That's good. Do that. We do not mean simply bedtime prayers. That's good, though. Do that. We do not mean simply calling out to God when things go bad for you or when you're in a tough situation. That's good. Do that. But a lifestyle, a habit of prayer, means that prayer is integrated into your life. It's, it's your knee-jerk reaction, your conversation with God. Listen to what Daniel did again. The windows in the upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God just as he had done before. They counted on this. They knew that he would do it. Let's talk about this prayer uh, of Daniel for just a moment. We're not told the content of it, but listen to the posture and the place. The place, first of all, is private. He's not out in the streets. He's not carrying a banner. He's not in the, in the court of the king saying this is unjust. He just does what he's always done, and what he's always done is commune with God privately. He goes upstairs in his house and there are upstairs windows. In the ancient world, in this culture, that would tell us he was a man of means with a multi-level home. And he goes up to his upstairs room where he typically prays and where the windows are open. And then we learn of the posture. The windows are open and there would have been lattice work over those windows to keep the birds from flying in. Uh, but he kneels and prays three times a day facing out the windows toward Jerusalem. Now, this isn't just ritual or tradition, and don't misunderstand it to be anything like what Muslims do when they pray toward Mecca. This activity, this specific posture, uh, comes from Solomon himself. Uh, in 1 Kings, uh, Solomon talked about facing Jerusalem as a reminder of the majesty of God, of the great things that God had done. And, and believers would always bow on, on, uh, get on their knees and, and bow to God when they prayed as a symbol of their submission. So in both things, Daniel is acknowledging the majesty and the greatness of God, and he's on his knees submitting to God in prayer. He's acknowledging his trust for God. 
that no matter what he faces, no matter what comes, he will trust God. He cultivates this habit of prayer. In a time of pressure to compromise, he doesn't compromise that. That's way too important. And by the way, did you know silent prayer is relatively new to Christians and, and to believers? Praying out loud is more common. And in many places in the, uh, in the world today, even when churches gather just like this, they still pray out loud and still agree with one another out loud in prayer. Daniel would have been praying out loud, which is exactly what his antagonist counted on. That's how they knew he was praying. They could hear him. They were outside the windows listening as he prayed. And that does make you wonder what he prayed. Was he praying, God be with me in the lion's den? Glorify yourself through me in the lion's den today. This may be it, but I've served you faithfully. A habit of prayer builds trust in God. Regularly taking to God every day. It submits to God. It, it, it takes away the pride and it acknowledges that God is in charge of this situation. Whatever that situation is, God is in charge. I'm going to give that to him. A habit of prayer lets God speak to you. Let's God ease your mind and take away your anxiety and your fear. A habit of prayer lets God give you wisdom and insight into how to handle and answer the situation. A habit of prayer is a conversation with your God. That's what prayer is. It's a relationship with God. The Apostle Paul says, pray without ceasing. By that, he doesn't mean go around mumbling prayers all the time. What he means is, Prayer should be a lifestyle habit. It's, it's a part of the life of the believer that we are in communication with God regularly as a habit. That habit may be and should be pausing. There are times you set aside to be with God. Maybe it's early in the morning. Maybe it's at lunch. Maybe it's mid-afternoon or evening. Maybe it's all three. But you pause and you bow to your God and you pray to Him as a habit of prayer. But it also means as a believer in Christ, with the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you're in constant communication with God. You're paying attention to what He's saying to you. And you're bringing to Him whatever's on your heart all the time. Cultivate that habit of prayer. If you find yourself praying still, uh, only when you have to, only when something goes wrong, only when there's something you need, you're asking for stuff, and that's your habit of prayer. Start cultivating that conversation with God. So that the moment you are pressed to compromise, your, your reaction is not to try to explain yourself, not to run away, uh, not to march in the streets. Your reaction is to go to your God. Because that's your habit, that's your lifestyle. And you know He's there with you. Secondly, Cultivate a habit of thanksgiving. Cultivate a habit of thanksgiving. This lets us know what Daniel's attitude of prayer was. He gave thanks to his God. And that's what he usually did. As a habit of prayer, he also had a habit of thanksgiving. He gave thanks to his God. Now, let's be honest. If it were you or me and we were going to God in prayer in these circumstances, we would be crying out to God, Why me? I've been serving you faithfully all this time. We would gripe. We would complain to us. That's, that's how we would participate in prayer with God. Why me? Why is this happening to me? 
That's why thanksgiving and prayer is so significant and so important. You know what's happening when in your prayers you thank God. As Paul says, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. You know what's happening? You're acknowledging that your God is sovereign. That he's in in control and charge of this situation. For all Daniel knew, this was his last day on planet earth. Now he did know, while it would not be an easy ending, he would arrive in the presence of his God. And he was ready for that. He was thanking God. An attitude of thanksgiving means that God's in charge. God is sovereign in all situations. It means that that it's a bigger picture than what uh, you and I can even imagine. And that's what Daniel means by this too. He he, 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 uh, uh, saturates his prayer with thanksgiving as a reminder that, that this may be what God had planned all along. God is sovereign. God wants to glorify himself through my life. And he thanks God, no doubt, for that, that God will glorify himself in Babylon among the Persians and the Medes. God will glorify himself through the life of Daniel at the very end, just like he does and has done all along. Cultivate thanksgiving in your prayers. Not just complaining, not just griping, not even just asking for stuff. Cultivate an attitude of thanksgiving. Come to God first, thanking him. Think about that. Next time you get with God by yourself to pray in that private place, start out with a flurry of thanks. Don't ask him for anything. Just thank him. Thank him for his nature. Thank him for his mercy. Thank him for his concern, his compassion. Thank him for Jesus. Thank him for taking care of you all these years. Thank him that when you meet with him, he meets with you. Thank him that he knows your name. Thank him that he knows your children and grandchildren better than you do. Thank him that he's in charge of the universe. Thank him that no matter the chaos And how ridiculous the world seems to be. God is in charge. Thank him that he's still on his throne and thank him that you can always trust him no matter what. There's a lot to thank him for, isn't there? And not just stuff. Thank him for being your God. Thank him, as Paul says, that he is always faithful. Even when we're faithless, God is always faithful, Paul says. Paul also writes, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. Thanksgiving is is the vehicle that takes your prayers to the Lord your God. Why? Because he's sovereign. He's in charge. When you develop a habit of prayer, you cultivate that, you're showing him how much you trust him with every situation. When you cultivate a habit of thanksgiving, you're telling yourself and reminding him that you know that he is in charge. And you want him to glorify himself through your circumstances and your situation. No matter what happens, God is in charge. He's taking care of you. And it gives you perspective, doesn't it? When you come to God with thanksgiving, it gives you perspective. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. God is at work in your life, in your family, in your community, your neighborhood, in our generation. God is still God. And he is still at work. Then third. Cultivate a habit of service. Cultivate a habit of service. Uh, King Darius's words to Daniel, as Daniel is taken into the lion's den, is, may your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. Darius hopes that Daniel will come out alive. He likes Daniel. He knows this is a great injustice. He knows that they've both been manipulated. He knows the antagonists have duped him. And by the way, we'll find out they're going to be sorry for that. 
But right here, all he can say is, Daniel, you've been faithful to serve your God. My hope is he will rescue you. Daniel's already put everything in God's hands. Sure, he hopes God will rescue him too, but he knows God is in charge. This simple statement from Darius speaks volumes about the life of Daniel. It tells us that even the kings and the co-workers uh, and the unbelievers and the polytheists and the pagans all know that Daniel is consistent in his lifestyle of serving his God. The term translated serve could be translated worship. But here it refers to the practice, the lifestyle of living for God. See, they all know that no matter what's happened in the kingdom, no matter what trials Daniel has been through, no matter what's been asked of him in his life, in his 80 plus years in Babylon, Daniel has always put God first. And again, it speaks volumes that even Darius says, you have been constant, you have been consistent, you have never wavered, you have walked with God the same way all the time. And in the same way you've been faithful to your God, Daniel, I hope that he rescues you. I hope that he's faithful to you today. Praying reminds us to trust God. Thanksgiving reminds us that God's in charge and gives us perspective and the bigger picture. Serving God consistently day by day reminds us that God works through us to bring about great things. It's serving God day by day that you get to see God work through you. It's serving God day by day consistently, not as an afterthought, not just coming on Sunday morning. It's, it's walking with Christ, living with Christ day by day, consistently serving him, worshiping him through your life. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, you bring your whole life to the altar as your spiritual act of worship. Every day, serving God consistently. It reminds you that God fortifies your faith day by day in the small things. It reminds you that God's going to work through you to serve other people and to change people's lives. It reminds you to keep your eyes open. Again, as Paul says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. It reminds you to look for God to work and that Jesus Christ can glorify himself through your life. Constantly and consistently serving him. Cultivate a, a habit of behaviors that say, no matter what, I serve God. I serve God. This past May, a group of ladies at the Westminster Presbyterian Church in Oregon finished a project that the ladies had been working on. Uh, they, uh, they have 80 pews in their sanctuary, and the ladies in the church, uh, using needlepoint, embroidered seats for the 80 pews. Now, I don't needlepoint and I don't embroider, but it sounds like it's a task, doesn't it? And, and, and to, to confirm that it's a task, they finished it in May. You know how long it took? 32 years. And 150 volunteers to do it. Talk about persistence. Talk, I mean, you and I want to quit. We don't even get out of bed tomorrow, hardly. Talk about consistent service. One of the ladies, a lady named Gwen, who actually went home to be with the Lord in 2019, didn't get to see the whole project finish, but she was asked about it when the press found out. She was asked about it because she'd been in it, been in it for a long, long time. And she said, well, this is the way I look at it. 
it's very similar to building a cathedral. We're doing it brick by brick, day by day, stitch by stitch. That's how you build consistency in your life. That's how you build habits and behaviors today that will determine how you respond tomorrow. Because here it is, if you're not building those habits and behaviors that cultivate your faith and your walk with Christ today, how are you going to respond tomorrow when the hostile culture comes after you? When the friends betray you or turn their backs on you? When the professors uh, interrupt you and, and laugh at you because of your faith? How are you going to respond tomorrow if you're not cultivating a life of faith today? So are you doing it? I want to ask you very simply, are you doing it? And if you're not, will you start over today? If you're not, would you say, today I want to start cultivating that life of faith. Admit to God you've not been doing that. Maybe you've been meeting Him in prayer once a day. Maybe so. Maybe you've been regular now and then and, and serving Him and, and looking for those opportunities. But most of the time your eyes are right in front of you and, and, and what you're doing and, and what your day is about. Maybe you've forgotten to thank him in a while for pretty much anything, let alone being God. <laughs> Today's a good day to start over, isn't it? Today's a good day to say, you know what, I'm going to start cultivating those habits, those behaviors that I should have been cultivating anyway. So I'll be ready to respond in faith tomorrow. Believers, I'm going to pray for you in-house and at home. I'm going to pray for us that we will cultivate those habits. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior or you need to rededicate your life to Christ today, maybe you, at one time you, you trusted Christ but you've wandered off since then, I want to pray for you as well in just a minute. But first, I want to ask in-house, if you would bow your heads and close your eyes, you can do this at home as well. I won't be able to see you, but if you're in the room with someone, they can, and certainly God knows what you're doing and what's going on. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. If today you would say to God, I need to start over today. I need to start cultivating those habits of faith that build and fortify my faith and my walk with Christ. I need to start over today. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If that's you, just lift your hand up where you are. You're being honest with God. You're saying, yes, I need to do that. Good for you. Hands down. Hands down. Heavenly Father, Father, I pray, God, for us. Many of us who did not raise our hands, God, I hope that's because, and I pray that's because we are strong in that consistent walk with Christ in those daily habits that fortify our faith and prepare us for tomorrow. God, I praise you. Thank you. But if we're not, God, and if some raised their hands and said, I need to start over today, Father, I pray for us. Today would be the day we would start over. Today would be the day we would say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a change in my habits and my, my behaviors. I'm going to start cultivating those habits and behaviors that fortify my faith and prepare me to stand for Christ in a hostile culture, to live for Jesus day by day today. And I pray we would do that, God. I pray we, you would show us, Father, the gaps in our faith, the, the soft spots that we need to fortify. I pray you would help us to shore up those habits and start new habits that are healthy. And God, help us to get rid of the habits that are unhealthy. Father, forgive us for that, God. Cleanse us of that and help us to start over with you today, God, building those healthy habits. Father, sometimes we're just confused about how to do it. Maybe we lack support at home. Maybe we're not sure. God, bring us to your word. Bring us to prayer. Bring us to thanksgiving and, and faithful service, Father. Show us, God, what we need to do, and we'll be faithful to do that. God, I pray for those in this room and at home, God, 
that today would say, I really need to rededicate my life to Jesus Christ. I've trusted Him as my Savior, but I've wandered away. I've, I've not been serving Christ. I've not been living for Him. God, I pray we would, we would be faithful and honest and sincere and rededicate our lives to following Christ today. And God, I pray for that one who's never trusted Jesus as their Savior. Maybe there's one in house. Maybe there's one at home in a chair or on the sofa right now that would say, you know what, I have never trusted Jesus Christ personally as my Lord and my Savior. Father, I pray for them that today would be the day they confess their sins to Christ, ask Him to be their Savior. And I want to pray a prayer, God, and I pray for them to follow me in this prayer to ask Jesus into their lives. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know I can't save myself. I've tried to be good. I've even been religious. But God, I realize that I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me, and he's alive today. In faith, I ask Jesus, come into my heart, into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of sin and unrighteousness. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me a home in heaven. And may I serve Jesus from this point forward. God, I pray that for all of us too. And I praise you and thank you, God, for your grace and your compassion that when we confess our sins and we come back to you, you're always faithful and righteous to forgive us. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray.